This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Today on PropTech VC, we're here with Roger Smith, the CEO of Termsheet. Termsheet is helping real estate professionals get the most out of their data set. Roger, how are things going at Termsheet? And let's talk a bit about your story. Yeah, thanks a lot, Zane. Thanks for the intro and, and definitely happy to be here. Happy to reconnect with you. Um, you know, it's been a while, but I, um, yeah, Termsheet, like things are going, going really well uh, for us. We officially launched the company uh, in what we call like a beta phase in January of 2020. Perfect timing, um, right? Yeah. January 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, actually, a funny story. So we, Sahil and I, my co-founder, we went to CRE Tech in October um, in 2019 in New York. And that was when we were, you know, we had had a kind of preliminary product we, we, the company really started within a real estate private equity firm. And the benefit of that is that's where we both sort of cut our teeth on understanding, you know, commercial real estate, um, understanding, you know, how deal teams operate and work, what, what they do, what they don't do, how they can become more efficient. And that's really where the idea for term sheet came from. So in 2019, in that October Siri Tech Conference, you know, he and I were, you know, in New York, kind of scrambling around, trying to talk to as many people as possible to, you know, vet and validate the idea, right? That's what you're supposed to do with a startup. Um, and it was there that we kind of formulate, or we really formulated at least what we thought was the initial groundwork for our platform. And then 20, you know, 2020 came about, we launched our early beta, we got um, an early client uh, through LPC, an office out of Chicago. And- Lincoln Property Company. Lincoln Property Company. Yeah, yeah. they're a big uh, industrial investor. Yeah. Uh, so the value there was they were really willing to work with us to understand, to allow us to understand beyond just the experience we had in that private equity firm, you know, how other groups would use a platform like ours. So they were your first major beta customer that you could build your MVP around. Yeah, yeah. And what we realized, <laughs> thankfully- you went, you, went, you went pretty big, hey? You didn't, you didn't go for <laughs> a smaller uh, pilot. You went for one of the big guns. I think it was, yeah, that's a really good point. I think it was, and, and I'll touch on this, this, this later, cause I, I kind of want to talk to you about this, but it, it was nature of, you know, contacts we had, some relationships we had, and of that particular group out of Chicago, which is really forward thinking in, in searching for a solution to their problem. And so it was, it was a combination of our relationships and, again, just hitting the right people in the right group um, that allowed us to get them on board and their willingness to give us feedback. And what we realized is that you know, this, this sort of idea of like one size fits all, you know, at that time is really focused on what we call productivity, like acquisitions teams, yeah. managing their pipeline, their tasks, their productivity, doesn't, that one size fits all wasn't correct. Like it might work for, 
you know, a particular size investor with a particular thesis, but that we we that blew, blew away. And so you're like, oh my gosh, this we've got to change how we do this. Like, there's no way this is going to scale. And so in June, July, we essentially like rewrote the platform to be what it is today, which is this really flexible platform that's based around sort of building your own workflows, managing your own data, no matter what kinds of data you look at. Um, kind of like, a, like I said, a build your own data deal and data platform. And that experience really helped us then kind of leapfrog to where we are today and where we want to go, which is, you know, the data, right? Um, the sort of un, the, 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 the oil that's in the ground that everyone thinks or that they want, but they don't really know what to do with, right? Yeah, and, and a bit about your story too. So you're a, 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 you're basically a technical founder. Right. Which is rarer in real estate, although you have technical founders sometimes I see a lot of um, sales-driven founders that lack the technical side uh, as a VC. Um, it, it's quite scary when you're doing due diligence and you realize, okay, a lot of this code has been outsourced to a vendor or a contractor. Um, how did you go about, um, especially as you're taking the role of CEO, how do you balance your time? Did you start off by writing the code yourself or did you use your technical skills to uh, um, oversee the development of the platform? Yeah, it, I, you're, you're, you're 100% right. And we actually look at that as kind of like our superpower, right? What yeah. we found, especially in the prop tech space, is that it the the idea of being having a strong technical team mm -hmm. uh, in-house combined with the real estate experience and i'm not just like talking about um surface level i'm talking like actually deeply understanding how one invests in real estate and the pain points that are around that we, we have found are are pretty rare and we think that that's kind of been our 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 distinct advantage so when we talk to customers from a technical perspective it's not um oh well let me go talk to my team and we'll get back to you in you know six months it's like okay well once we get off this call we will make this change and then it will be rolled out you know within the next hour or so and we actually built our platform ourselves right so like i i, I wrote um you know all of the code you know, uh, to get us to this point, I, we've, we've, we've hired, we've made some more hires and, you know, obviously extending the team, but we didn't want to build on top of another platform. My background uh, previous to, to term sheet was always in, um, you know, enterprise sort of SaaS, traditional enterprise SaaS companies. So whether that was CRM, I started my own company uh, prior to being acquired by this pri uh, private equity shop which was in the, um, after, you know, the crowdfunding space, we pivoted to like a white label platform. And so, you know, my point is, is like, you know, I understand how to build enterprise grade software and deploy it at scale. Um, and then, you know, combining that with, you know, Sahil and my real estate understanding experience, like when we talk to customers, we can talk to them because we know their problems, but then we have this advantage that we can, um, you know, actually implement implement it. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real estate investor myself. So like, it's kind of cool to be able to build a product that you actually use 
yourself, right? Like, so I can experience the problems. You're like, ah, oh, gosh, I really wish it could do this because that's also what I want, you know? We'll, we'll dive into that in a moment, but it's interesting. I've done due diligence calls for startups for going to invest in. And one thing that really wins the deal for real estate customers is, wow, this startup really was fast. They took our feedback, they made changes. Unlike another vendor we used who we ripped out, that other vendor didn't have good technology. It was legacy software and they took, you know, years to make any changes and yeah. we just don't feel like we're getting paid attention. So I feel like this is a really tried and true formula when you're running a startup. If you have the ability to talk to a customer, take their feedback, literally, as you said, as soon as you're off the call, you're working on some type of change, you'll win that customer over, especially yeah. when you've got a big customer you're going after, right? You have to do that. Um, and then on the other side, other portfolio companies I'm, I'm involved with, often when they're technical founders, the challenge is we're building this great technology. We just need a good sales guy. We need a good sales girl. And that's, that seems to be the case. It's either you're a really strong sales founder and you need a good technical founder or you need, you know, you need to hire some engineers or your technical team and you need more sales. And, and it's, it's good when you have that. If you, if you, if any of our viewers here are thinking of starting a company, do you think they should look for a co-founder or do you think you can outsource the tech? or, you know, just hire a salesperson? Like, what's your view? And I know uh, there's one, I know there's no true formula, but surely yeah. you have an opinion. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, my belief, especially in the early days, like you can't outsource anything. That's my belief. I, I yeah. yeah, you feel the same way? It's such a hard advice to hear if you've got the idea and yeah. you can't find a co-founder, but at the same time, you don't have the money to hire an engineer. You certainly aren't going to be able to do anything even if you spend the weekend coding or use a no-code platform. So it's interesting because it's hard advice. Like, what can someone do with that? I know. I think the no-code platforms are great. Like, I'm also, I will say this. I look at the technical side of a business when you're, when you have that skill set is it's, it's, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is like, you can do the stuff you want to do. The curse is, well, you can do the stuff you maybe you shouldn't do right meaning like oh well instead of building like a a test mvp where i just collect a form or test if someone clicks a button i will actually build the product which sometimes that's not the right thing to do like you should do the easy thing to test it but my belief early on on a um this is true in my last company this is true in this company uh, is that the people like you, you have to live and breathe the problem, you know? And so from a technical perspective, you know, it's very hard for someone else to like tell you what to do and, and lay it out because there's the, the, the devil's in the details. Um, and so from a technical perspective, it's clearly, I think it's important from a sales perspective. I think again, early on, I think you need to, especially in real estate, like you have people who, you know, this is what they do all day long. And when they're talking to people who don't understand some of the, you know, minor details of real estate investing, I mean, that just, that just shows, that just shows through. And so again, my belief as you grow fine, but my belief early on, you, you, you do need to do it in how, I mean, even, even like we see companies that, I mean, you've seen them in this space where they build on top of other platforms, right? 
And that's great to getting something going, but eventually it, it, it's like how, how, how it breaks down either because you're subject to, you know, the, you know, whatever the, the platform it, it puts on you, restrictions they put on you, or your ability to kind of get, get out of that, you know? Right, and Roger, it all comes down to what, obviously what the core competency of the team is, but also what type of company you're trying to build. You are a data-heavy infrastructure player. There's no way you can outsource that. You have to be the platform. If you're a, a co-working platform or you're a, you know, a, a company that's got hardware sensors, that skill set's going to be different. And in most cases, hardware and sensors do tend to be outsourced to manufacturers. But... Um, if your core competence is you need to just create a marketplace, a lot of real estate companies have this marketplace dynamic where you could have investors and you could have real estate developers or you might have contractors and consumers. You've just got to go hustle and build out that com competence, um, which doesn't necessarily mean the technology side. I think on the technology side, I think the UX part is the most important to really something the founders should play with. You could literally do a course in a weekend. I've done it myself. You know, I've taken courses on Udemy or Coursera and used UX prototyping tools. There's, there's Figma, there's Adobe XD, there's Marvel, there's, Luce, there's InVision. There's, there's so many different platforms you can use or Figma or whatever where you can put a, a clickable prototype together and show it to a customer. Yeah. And the customer won't be able to tell what's going on. In some ways, when you're going to build an MVP, maybe just put the UX up, do the UX. And I, I really think it's not too difficult to do. I agree with that. You could learn it in, in, in a weekend or a few weekends. Put that together, then show that to the customer. Now, to make that work, that's where you need some back-end technology. But first, there's no point taking feedback from a call outsourcing it or building something, showing it to the customer, customer says, oh, that doesn't look right, that doesn't feel right. So I feel like customers are very visual, they rarely tend to be more back-end focused. So that's probably my advice to people who don't have. And also then when you're, when you're, if you're outsourcing or you're, you're trying to find a co-founder, at least you've got some prototypes you can show. And that prototype changes everything. That, that really then gives a level of specificity. You know, I, I don't recommend old school PRDs. Yeah which is basically a format where you write a big, you know, like a business plan, but for product, you know? Yeah. But a clickable prototype is, is probably one way of doing yeah. it. The, the other thing I'd say, Roger, is as an investor, look, as a co-founder, you know, you're thinking about your ownership in the company and, and you know, what it's going to be like to work with someone and the energy you have to do, and maybe you could de-risk things by outsourcing it. And if I were a founder, this is tempting, you know? Um, I've learned to code a little bit myself because I realized this was such a big weakness, but maybe what you do is you, you, you outsource it, you get some traction, some pre-orders, some revenue. Now you've made progress with the business. Now you can get a higher valuation or you can give less equity to a, a fellow co-founder. So I get that. That's from the founder's perspective. From the VC's perspective, I like to see a team that's well-rounded. You know, one yeah. of my companies I invested in, um, Canopy Analytics, they, they have a, you know, a wonderful UX designer. The founder is a technical guy, but very strong with sales. And then they've got a, you know, a CTO that's very hardcore tech, the perfect team. In the VC space, they call it, I think they call it like a good hacker, a good technologist, and a good um, you know, salesperson. And, and by, by hacker or technologist, usually there's a designer somewhere. So the designer, the engineer, and the salesperson. If you have those three skill sets in your founding team or your founding employees, so much easier to get off the ground, you know? Great. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pick apart some of the, or not pick apart, dive into some of the things you, you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, and if you want to debate some of this, let's have fun yeah. too. No, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I would, I want, you know, the idea of starting something, right? Especially when you're a non-technical person can seem kind of daunting. And sometimes people, in my belief, I, a friend of mine did this. He had this idea. He paid all this money to this outsourced team to go build this product. And I, I told him, I said, time and time again, like, do not do that. You don't even, what we're talking about here is product market fit or even validation. You have not gotten validation on whether anyone wants your product, whether or not, if, if they do want it, will they use it? So do something like you're saying, like some sort of no code platform or a simple, it was a mobile app. So like a simple, react native sort of mobile app that you know someone could build in a weekend or something yeah it doesn't have all the features but it gives someone the the sense of how they would interact with it and and he made the mistake he spent i think 250k going down this path and 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 it ended up it wasn't right and and i think i think that's the problem i think when you haven't started something or been in the space the belief is that unless i have everything then it's yeah. not, it won't work, right? And that is that is just not the way it works, right? And so I'm I'm with you, like stop writing business plans, stop, um, you know, f trying to find, like you can't do it because you're on a technical thing or you're gonna outsource it to build the whole thing. Like scrap together, you know, a form, a website, a, a prototype mobile app, whatever that is, and get it in front of as many people as humanly possible that will talk to you. Um, exactly. And then that feedback, again, because look, at the end of the day, like, you know, talk about the concept of fail fast, right? The most valuable commodity that any of us have is time. That, that's the most valuable commodity. And so the reality is like, you want to reduce the time you're spending on something that will potentially be wasted time. And so your goal is to fail as quickly as possible to get that idea off the board so you can move to the next one to find that one that, you know, will work um, so I'm, I'm completely with you. Another data point on this is, uh, I actually just watched this video from Justin Kahn, you know, the Justin, uh, the Twitch co-founder when he started Atrium. I don't know if you've seen this, but he talked about how Atrium failed, right? And it was actually really, really cool. And so you realize like, oh my gosh, how did Atrium fail? Like he was, you know, he was a partner at YC, he sold Twitch, he was advisor to all these, you know, uh, VC companies. Well, what happened was Twitch was a, cons I mean, they were selling to streamers, but it was a completely different space than Atrium, which was like this enterprise sort of SaaS services company. And he was able to raise all this money solely, without a product, solely based, because his name was Justin Khan, right? Well, what happened was he realized that building a product in an enterprise B2B space is completely different than, you know, what, what they were doing and product does matter. So he didn't get the validation necessarily. He just started building something he didn't even know if anyone wanted. And then ultimately like they weren't building good product and, or the right product. And so I think it goes back to the early validation. Once you've gotten it and you need to deliver something, that's when I do believe that you do need to have those, like you said, those key players in-house. So that idea flow is constantly moving amongst the team. So you're waking up, you're dreaming about this platform. Um, and at the end of the day, like all the players on the team need to bring some value, right? Like 
whether it's like you said, hacker coding, salespersons talking to customers, that feedback loop is so, 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 so important.